This episode is sponsored by Podcast Movement 2016, coming to Chicago in July. Stick around for more information on how you can be a part of Podcast Movement 2016. You're listening to the Podcast Movement Sessions. What's a podcast again? A podcast is... uh, uh, You talk... The thing is, we're not telling you podcasters that it matters. Hi, everybody. This is your host, Brian, and today we're going to talk about business and how to make money easy. Stay tuned. Look, I'm not making fun of anybody. You should have heard my first podcast episode. It was terrible. It's important for any of us just to get started. I mean, even if you can't tell if your sound quality is the best or if you know it's not great, but it's the best you can do, that's great. Just go ahead and publish it. Nobody is going to fault you for that. However, it is important as we grow to take seriously the things that our audience takes seriously. And sound quality is indisputably one of those things. This episode of Podcast Movement Sessions surrounds Marin Bereket's talk from Podcast Movement 2015. Now, Marin is actually my podcast coach, full disclosure here. He's also the founder of Podcast Incubator Family. And Marin is very focused on audio quality. A little too much almost. He kind of scares me sometimes. So I knew that there had to be a story that illustrated why he cares so much about audio quality. Like I suspected, it gets a little Freudian. You know... When I was five years old, I had a dream of being a radio broadcaster. In fact, it went from dream to nightmare because I would wake up at night dreaming that my show was broadcasting and I left a cassette playing because at the time there were cassettes. And for some reason I had to go and I'm listening to my own show at home and it's the end of the cassette and it's doing that click of, of the end and then there's silence on the air. I would wake up freaking out that, you know, nothing is on the air. And then I would realize I'm five years old, I don't have a radio show. You may have picked this up, but Marin is not from the U.S. He actually broadcasts and works in his home studio near the shores of Lake Galilee, Israel. And it's often easy for me to forget that this is (laughs) English is actually a second language for Marin. I remember when I was uh, sixth grade. There, there was like the the end of the year show of of the high school, not high school, elementary school. And some of the kids were chosen to help the sound guys. And I actually wasn't chosen to do that because I was, I think I was chosen to actually sing. Now, I'm not going to sing for you, Brian. It's really not my thing. It wasn't really my thing back then either. I remember being incredibly jealous. And then a year later, I got a chance to do the entire sound operation, sound and lights for the New Year's ceremony at the village I was living in. There were three, four hundred people. So it's actually a, a reasonable audience. I was seventh grade. That's like, what, 12, 13. And it's the New Year's ceremony. And we have all the lights and, and, and the stage and people are well-dressed. I don't know how to translate it. The mayor kind of thing of the village. Uh, the village leader walks up on the stage and he turns on the mic and he starts talking And the next thing I know, 300 people turn their head to me and say, 
can't hear him. And that went on for the entire evening. It was the first time I met with phantom microphones. Sadly, I didn't know I need to turn that phantom button on, which meant that the microphone was just wasn't, the, the sound wasn't picked up correctly. Nobody could hear anything. And that was my first experience realizing that it doesn't matter how great the lighting is. It doesn't matter how well people are dressed. It doesn't matter how everything looks, the, the atmosphere, New Year's, everybody is with a glass of wine. Nobody cares unless you have good sound. And being a perfectionist and having that experience, and then, of course, for two years, nobody let me do any sound work for the village anymore. I think that was the point where I just got quite extreme about the importance of good sound because I could see that it really doesn't matter. Like, bad sound ruins everything. Sounds like you have some childhood issues that led to your current uh, OCD condition. I, I would, yeah, we can stop the interview now. I mean, that's it. Your talk at Podcast Movement 2015 was about sound, and the sound from that session came out really awful. I think it's kind of funny what happened to that sound bit by bit. And of course, that has nothing to do with the conference. That was just the AV people who were doing the recording. But let's talk about what was wrong with this audio. I don't know what they did to that piece of audio. I mean, besides, we can go super technical. I think there was some funky compression going on and funky settings in whatever receiver they used for that microphone, whatever. The bottom line for the listener is that you don't get a clean presentation because the back of your mind is always paying attention to the zzzz that's going on in the background. It, there's some kind of electrical hum that actually you tried to eliminate it. I know I tried to eliminate it. Um, I gave it to other people to, to try and do something about it. We could not make that file sound clear, which, as you said, is quite ironic because one of the things I was preaching at Podmov was garbage in, garbage out, meaning if you don't take care of the sound when it goes into the system, there's pretty much nothing you can do afterwards to fix it. All right, get ready for it. Here comes the loud buzz that we're talking about in the session that Marin did at Podcast Movement 2015. But what you'll notice is I'm not going to just ram straight into it. I'm going to slowly fade it in. And that fade in wasn't part of the original file. That fade in is something that I pulled from another part of the file when there was nothing else going on other than just the buzz. How many of you went to the Academy of Podcasters Award? Okay, I don't know if you know, I was one of the judges. And going through the judging process, I actually found myself texting co-founder of Podcast Movement, Jared Easley. I wrote to him, Jared, some of these nominees, like they're amazing podcasters. They're so uh, purposeful. They're so passionate. But their sound is terrible. I told him, Jared, we need to fix this. Because with very little changes, and as you'll see today, in less than 10 minutes and in pretty much any budget, you can make your podcast sound so much better. Okay, so Jared said, let's do it. And this is why I'm talking about sound today. Seven out of the 10 nominees for the category I was judging were using a condenser microphone in a noisy environment with no good reason. We can probably talk about when a condenser microphone is a good thing to use. But generally, if, if you're recording at home, there's no reason for you to use a condenser microphone that picks up the entire environment. They were overcompressed, which means they were compressed to the level of distortion, basically, or they were undercompressed or unbalanced or full of background noise. And the thing is, for me, if you have a podcast and your sound is bad, 
it's choppy, it's noisy, it's unleveled. I see that as disrespecting your audience. It's just like I would be talking to you, Brian, and then turn my head around and start looking at the waitress at the coffee shop we're imagining right now instead of talking to you. It's just like I would be playing on my phone instead of talking to you. Having bad sound is the worst way to show that you don't care enough about your audience in order to make them, you know, truly feel and be a part of it. Sound can either add to the story or detract to this, from the story. It very rarely doesn't matter. So let's start with the most obvious part of sound quality, and that's the microphone itself. Now, while a lot is made about the brand and model of your microphone, and while you know that is important, obviously, what's even more important is the type of microphone that you choose. So there's two types of microphone you're going to be seeing. One is a condenser microphone, one is a dynamic microphone. Condenser microphones are stuff like the Blue Yeti, Blue Snowball, the Apogee. Dynamic microphones start with the ADR 2100. It's this cute little one that costs about $57. Go all the way up to the Praise Heil PR40 that Brian Orr uses sometimes. What's the difference, right? Because the prices of both of them are all over the place. Which one should you be using? Well, a condenser microphone was made to perfectly recreate the environment in which you were recording inside your audience ears. That's what it does best. And it's incredibly good at that. But when you're podcasting from your home, and how many of you are podcasting from home? Okay. When you're podcasting from home, you don't want a perfect representation of everything that goes on in your house. You want a microphone that picks up what's closely in front of it, and that's it. And that's what a dynamic microphone does. Condenser microphones are extremely sensitive, which means they can perform well in distance. That's why you see them used in video. You put them on a video camera. That's why you see them in choirs. They put them high up next to the ceiling. Microphones, like dynamic microphones like this one, you're going to need to get up and more personal, close and personal with this microphone because it completely eliminates everything that's out of this range. The volume that you record in is known as levels, your recording levels. You need to make sure that you keep your recording levels in the minus range. Zero is the level at which your recording will begin to clip. That means it's too loud, too hot. So whenever you're recording, you should always stay below zero in your levels gauge. You can't fix it if it goes too hot. And by too hot, I mean if you look at a level meter, whatever device you're using, there's like the right end of uh, the meter. If your sound reaches there, it means it's too hot, it's going to be distorted, and there is nothing in the world to ever fix that. So like Mama always said, better safe than sorry. Your levels should typically be between minus 12 and minus 6. I know in radio people like to be a bit less than minus 12, like peak peaking at minus 12 dB. In podcasting, many people like minus 6. Don't go over minus 6 dB. Perfection is not the goal. Anyone who's really a pro at EQ and audio quality could look at the words I'm saying right now, pick it apart, and they could find a hundred things wrong with it. And Marin told a story about how he experienced some less than perfect audio quality with some annoying results. My second interview ever, I was in Australia. I recorded it at my cousin's basement at 5 a.m. 
I was freezing cold. You know, I was traveling. I was on a pretty low budget, which is a nice way of explaining why I was using a Logitech USB headset. The sound was so bad, but the interview was great. that I actually ended up reenacting the entire interview when I got home. I recorded every single question again. It's not easy to reenact and make it not sound completely fake. I remember saying to other podcasters when I first got started that I just don't hear the difference between two different podcasts, one that you're saying is poor quality and one that you're saying is great quality. What happens if you just don't have the ear for it? We love the sound of radio because they have that equipment that makes it an experience, that makes it something that we enjoy listening to. There's not a single human being besides James Earl Jones and, uh, I don't know, George Clooney that I would enjoy listening to without some sort of gear balancing them. And that's fine. That's how we are as human beings. It's just a matter of taking that extra step to show the audience we care enough about them. They can concentrate in listening to the conversation instead of playing with their car radio, pushing the volume up and down and up and down until the button breaks. What do you say to someone who says they just don't have an ear for it, where they really can't tell the difference between the amateurish, you know, turn on the mic and just play it through and shut it off and don't do anything with a condenser mic versus the well-produced NPR-style podcast? What do you say to someone who just literally says, I don't have an ear for that? First thing, there's a big difference between not doing anything and being NPR. This conversation right now will not sound as NPR. I mean, it's not the same microphone. It's not the same mixer. You need to be reasonable with what you're trying to create. I think that's step one. I find that a lot of the people that say they don't have the ear for it, what they're actually saying is, I don't have the gear for it in order to hear the difference. I mean, if you're playing it from the computer speaker, from the laptop speaker, you probably won't hear the difference. If you're playing it into a five bucks earphone, you probably won't hear the difference. And there's a reason I tell all my podcasting students, you really need to have a semi-decent pair of headphones. I don't think the Apple headset, for instance, is that great. The microphone is terrible and the, the earphones are fine. They're not great by any mean. But still, I can't believe most people will not notice the difference between a condenser microphone or a dynamic microphone, even with those earphones. And the other thing is, I think people say they don't have the ear because they don't know how to compress their sound. So they don't know how it will sound compressed. Because I've never seen a single person who takes his raw material, puts it through a dynamic compressor, and doesn't notice the difference. It's just impossible. It's crazy when I listen back to some of the stuff that I first did. I mean, and everyone says this. And it's like, did I, did I not hear that my levels were all screwed up? You know, did I not hear that, you know, like you said, where I'm having to turn the dial up and down? And obviously I didn't. Otherwise, I wouldn't have published it. But now it drives me insane. Hallelujah. One more converted. It's like everything. You need to practice to pay attention to it. The thing is, we're not telling new podcasters that it matters. So either they notice it on their own or they don't. We need to put the word out there that it really affects if after the first 30 seconds, they even carry on listening. Before I even had my own podcast, I asked a friend to recommend me the top entrepreneurial podcasts. And there were, you know, Pat Flynn and... The Foolish Adventure and Internet Business Mastery. But there was one more podcast that he said, like, it's the best content. I listened for 15 seconds and I tuned out because there was too much static background noise. And I bet 
that this wonderful lady that's producing amazing content doesn't realize how many people are not as engaged with her content as they could be if she just made it enjoyable to listen to. The speaker floodgates are officially open. It's been announced that Pat Flynn, Andrew Warner, Kate Erickson, Ray Edwards, John Lee Dumas are all going to be speaking at Podcast Movement, in addition to the prior announcements of Anna Sale of Death, Sex, and Money and Tracy in Heaven of Another Round. So you're going to want to be in Chicago this July 2016 for Podcast Movement. Go to podcastmovement.com to get your tickets. Now, keep in mind, the speakers are only a minor reason why you're going to want to be a Podcast Movement. The main reason is you're going to get to meet Jared Easley. That is a big deal, my friends. Follow us on Twitter, at Podcast Movement, and join the Facebook group. Hope to see you in Chicago. Two of the great sins of the beginning podcaster, and even the expert podcaster doesn't pay attention to it, are plosives and syllabants, which spoken more simply outside of the industry fancy talk is just popping P's and hissing S's. They're really annoying. When people use the P or the S, we are pushing a lot more air than any other syllable or sound that we typically make. This creates a very unpleasant result in the ears of our listeners. That It creates a very strong peak when that air hits the microphone. There's two things you can do about it. Either you don't talk directly into the microphone from up close. So you take the microphone about seven, eight inches away from your mouth, that already reduces the aftershock of the plosive P. Instead of talking directly into it, you talk slightly over or under the microphone. So the microphone is pointing either more towards your nose or more towards your chin. And that will just make those plosive P's and hissing S's go over the microphone instead of right into it. Or you can buy a pop filter and feel very badass because it looks very professional. And then you can put the pop filter and pretty much talk right directly at it and at the microphone. So those are your two options. I generally recommend, even if you have a pop filter, to talk over or under the microphone because there's other things. We're not going to go into like proximity effects and stuff like that. But unless you're hosting a late night show, you'll probably sound more human and more natural by not swallowing the microphone, but by actually getting some distance from it. He even graces us with a pee-popping demonstration. Okay, so now I'm talking right into the microphone, which I don't know if you can hear the difference over there. But popping peas, popping peas are really annoying. So are hissing S's. I, I appreciate anybody who stayed past this demonstration. <laughs> I mean, I know this entire podcast is going to be, this entire episode is going to be a demonstration of terrible sound. <laughs> but really, popping peas... I should have known better, but I made the mistake of asking him about noise removal. Yeah, let's start by not calling it noise removal. There's no such thing. You can noise reduce at the most. You can never noise removal. First, I should say that you should handle all of your noise before you apply compression, because compression changes the frequencies of the noise and it will be very hard to take it out afterwards. So let's start with that. In, in the process of your post-production, take care of the noise first. If you can record a few seconds of not talking and not breathing into the microphone just to get the static background, you can then use any software you're using to say to the computer, hey, you see this part where I'm not speaking? That's background noise. 
please reduce it as much as you can. And it will. And this is where it goes back to the levels we were talking about. If you are talking really, really quietly, you won't be able to reduce the noise because when you reduce the noise, you reduce too much of your own voice as well. So if you're talking, though, at around minus 12 dB and the background noise is around minus 40, minus 50 dB, there's enough range between the two for a computer to actually reduce the noise while keeping it natural. But it's, again, it's reduction. It's no removal. If you try to remove the voice, to remove the noise, you'll remove the voice as well. It was a Freudian slip, but it was quite appropriate. The aggressive older brother of noise reduction is noise gating. You get out of here, noise. You don't belong here. Go home. So what noise gating does, when there is no talking going on, when no main sound, we'll call it, is coming in, that's when the most annoying background noise exists. And it just keeps it outside the gate. The gate is closed and the sound can't come through. The noise can't come through. When you start talking, Brian, on a podcast that is noise gated, the noise gate opens because it recognizes the volume of your voice. And as soon as it opens, everything flows in with it. So it's a much less obtrusive approach and it's a much less destructive approach than noise removal because it doesn't really hurt your sound. All it does is eliminate the background noise when nobody's talking or really turns it down a few notches, which can create a world of a difference because oftentimes you only notice the background noise when nobody's talking anyway. The second thing is, for noise reduction, we mentioned you need to be able to select a profile of the noise and then tell the computer, hey, this is noise, get rid of it. Well, if you do noise gating before you do noise reduction, you're going to gate out all that noise sample and then you have nothing to select for noise reduction. So it's impossible to do it well or at all in the wrong order. For this noise reduction exercise, I'm sitting about 18 inches away from my mic. I'm in my office where I record and I turn the air conditioner on so we have a little more hiss. So you can hear that hiss. I'm going to go ahead and remove or reduce that hiss by about five decibels starting right now. Now you can hear that the noise is reduced, it also does affect my voice slightly. Now I'm going to go ahead and noise gate starting now. The noise gate helped additionally reduce, but every time that I come in and out, you do hear a little bit of the noise coming in with my voice. If I'm doing any sort of field recording, you want to be super, super careful and gentle with yeah. noise reduction because when you do noise reduction, it makes any artifacts that are left in the background sound kind of weird. Very tinny. Yeah. If you're doing field recordings, what the best thing to do is actually record the background. If you're doing, like, let's say, a show that's both in the field and in studio like you're segueing in and out to the interview you did in the field while you have some stuff you recorded in the studio, the best thing to do is to record about one minute of white noise and have that fade in and out every time you go from studio to the field in order to make that segue less painful to the ear rather than trying to make the field sound like it's studio. I mean, like if you're recording it at the, in a field, own it, it's a part of the story. When you listen to Serial and she's walking to an office or something, and you can hear the buses and the, and the cars go by, it's part of the story. 
it's a soundtrack, okay? It, the sound is actually helping us create a real image of what's going on. Brian, I heard you go and interview a guy at his gym and you used a microphone that we were able to hear people working out in the background and, and pulling weights and all of that stuff. And it helped me as a listener put myself in that room, in that scenario. Having those noises made it better. So if you're going to do that, you're going to need to use a microphone that works for that. So you wouldn't go with a dynamic microphone if you actually want to get the sound of the environment. So the first thing is choose the right microphone. If you don't have a lot of noise, you can really apply a strong gate that reduces the noise almost completely and it will sound natural and clean and be great. But if you're, as we said, garbage in, garbage out, if you have a very noisy file, you can't have the noise gate completely eliminate the noise because as soon as the gate opens, all that noise is going to come fading in and it's going to actually sound worse than just keep it there and that's it. If you have a very noisy episode, you can use a noise gate to improve it, but you can only reduce the noise by some degree to make it less annoying without causing that fade in, fade out. I asked Marin to walk through the streets of Israel, first of all, because that's just kind of a cool thing to do, and secondly, to give us a soundtrack for me to work with here. So you can hear the soundtrack in the background. This is not amplified. It has not been changed in any way. What you don't want to do is combine a narration like I'm doing now directly with the file and then do any compression, noise gating, or noise reduction because the effect that you'll get is something like this. It just sounds garbledy and terrible and you can still hear it and it's awful and don't do it. It's not a good idea. So whenever you are working with music or with an outdoor space or whatever, you do not want to apply these post-production rules. You want to keep that soundtrack as clean as possible. You can do a little amplification, maybe a little EQ, but don't hit it with any type of significant compression or noise reduction. The wish-wash effect is actually a noise gate that either closes too slowly, closes and open too slowly, or is too dramatic for the level of noise. And just to be clear, you never want to run a noise gate when you are doing field recording in a noisy environment because it will sound crazy. Yeah, it, it will sound terrible and it negates the entire point. If you're doing a field recording, it's usually because you actually want to have that field feeling. Otherwise, you'll get in a car and, and get a dynamic microphone and have a quiet conversation that doesn't have background noise. If you're using a condenser microphone in a park, you will never want to use noise gating because it doesn't make any sense. I will give a quick tip. If you are using a condenser microphone in a park and there's a lot of buses and, and cars and wind, you can use a high-pass filter to limit like frequencies below 80 hertz. It's a feature most digital recorders have. And that will keep a lot of the wind and the buses and all the bassy sounds that those kind of things create. It'll keep it out and make the recording more bearable. If you're in a windy situation, use a windshield. There's a lot of mystery in podcasting about the terms compress, compression, and encoding. And encoding and file compression, as a lot of people call encoding, relates to the specific file types that you save your file as and the settings that you use when you are saving these file types. 
whereas compression actually means something completely different. Let's start with file size compression, which the, the right way to call is actually encoding. The process of compressing the file so it takes less space from WAVE or AIFF file into a smaller MP3 file is the process of we're in essence throwing a lot of data out and we're only keeping what the human ear can hear. That is why it's called encoding because we're taking it and encoding it into something tighter. There are a few guidelines. Many podcasters choose the wrong encoding which results in a file that either doesn't sound good or in a file that's too big. Like the, those are the two worst case scenarios of, of bad encoding, of bad file compression. What happens is every time you encode, you lose about 50%, between 20 and 50% of the original data. That's why the file gets smaller and smaller. So if you're taking an MP3 file and you edit it and then you export and encode it again, now you lost 50% twice. The more you do that and the more aggressive your compression is or your encoding is, the worse it's going to sound. So absolutely, you want to only work with raw files, the AIF or WAVE. If you're recording using software like Ecamm or any of those, set it to record in raw, uncompressed. Otherwise, you're losing the battle for good sound before it even starts. Because if, you, if you're getting an MP3 file that's already encoded, you already lost the battle. And then when you export it, you want to make sure the audience gets great quality at the best file size. So it takes the least amount of time to start playing. I usually recommend, unless you have a music-based show, I recommend exporting in mono because that already saves half of the file size. And I like going with 96 kilobits. It's just a setting that you will find, whether it's in iTunes or in Audacity or whatever you use to encode. 96 kilobits for a mono or 192 kilobits if you're running stereo. That produces great quality, or at least very good quality, at a normal file size. This podcast is produced in stereo. And the reason is, is because in the intro, I like to play around with all those swooshes that go back and forth from ear to ear, and I'm just kind of a nerd that way. So if you want to keep your file size small, do it in mono. If you have fancy stereo effects, then of course you need to encode it in stereo. If you've ever used the normalize or the amplify feature in your editing software, you've quickly found out that it will only amplify to the point where it starts to clip because you have these loud parts in your file that it won't go higher than what the system can play without sounding terrible. So it creates a problem. You have these quiet parts in your file that if you don't amplify them, no one's going to be able to understand what you're saying. And then you have these loud parts that if you amplify the entire file, well, it, it clips. It sounds terrible. Any audio software is designed so that it never runs too hot. It never amplifies the voice so much that it gets distorted. When we speak, we have the higher peaks, typically at the beginning of a sentence or when we get excited. And then the rest is kind of even 50% quieter than the highest peak. And the problem is when we use an effect like normalize or amplify, we're only pushing the loudest peaks as far as they can go, which is not much usually. And nothing really happens to the quieter part, which is most of our conversation. Now, the reason this is, is because the range is too wide, okay? There's a big range between how loud we are when we're talking quietly to how loud we are when we're talking loudly. And what good compression does is decrease or shrink that range 
so that there's less difference between the high peaks and the low peaks. Basically, we're shrinking the high peaks down. We're saying anything that's over this level at our range, we're going to shrink it down so it fits our new range. Then when you have that range that's smaller, we can amplify everything and have everything on a much closer level without distorting the audio. Now, one of the areas of audio quality that I'm not going to deal with much at all is EQ or equalization, which is really just setting the frequency of a particular audio file to the ideal frequency of how you want it to sound. And specifically, when we're talking about podcasting, we're generally meaning setting the EQ in your voice. Now, one interesting thing is, in the past, people would talk about having a rich voice, which they really meant having a deep voice. But what NPR really has done to podcasting is shown us that it actually sounds a little better if you don't have too much bass. Too much bass in the voice makes it a little muddy, especially in the very, very low frequencies. So we use something called bass roll-off, which is really nothing more than creating sort of a rolled frequency. So as the frequency goes from lower to higher, it allows more and more of that frequency in our voice. Right now, I'm recording with bass roll-off set on both my EQ board and on my mic itself. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and shut off the bass roll-off on my mic, and you'll hear more bass come into my voice. Now you hear a little bit more bass. Now I'm going to shut off the bass roll-off on my mixer board, and now you're going to hear even more deep bass. So just to give you another example, I'm going to go ahead and hit it again on my mixer board, bass roll-off, and now I'm going to roll off the bass on my mic again. And then here we go. So this is what you, people would consider to be a little bit more of a crisp sound because it doesn't have that deep, muddy bass in my voice. It's also a little easier to hear when you're in a car or something of that nature. Now, it really is just a matter of personal taste, and I don't claim to be an expert with equalization, which is why I'm not doing a full spectrum of equalization. But understanding bass roll-off is a good place to start. So I actually made a video that you can download for free at podcastincubator.com forward slash sound. And that file, it's a 10 or 12 minutes video of me that I did for my podcasting students, just walking you through, here's a raw file. It's a real raw file, by the way. Here's how I do noise reduction. Here's how I do noise gating. Here's how I do dynamic compression. And here's the difference. And I challenge anyone who thinks they don't have the ear to notice the difference to try this 10 minutes post-production on their own show and seriously email me if you can't notice the difference I, I, you will be astounded by how great your show can sound I want to say a big thank you to my podcasting coach Maron Bereket you can find all of the information that he shared here today at his link, podcastincubator.com forward slash sound. I also want to thank Bill Nowicki for the intro, and as always, Jared Easley and Dan Franks as organizers of Podcast Movement and the guys who make this all happen. Hey, and I'll see you next Monday, right? Did you just say work your partner's ear when you're in the same room? I'm just... <laughs> Just wanting to follow yeah, up on so, that statement. Yeah. Let me explain that. So in, <laughs> in audio, we have the phrasing of working the microphone, which means instead of setting the microphone to a more sensitive setting that will pick up more noise as well, you just talk louder.
Um, so I, I, I borrowed working the microphone to work in your partner's ear. <laughs> it, it doesn't sound right. 